0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris, and we have a fantastic episode for you today. And the author that we're going to be speaking with is Christopher Mims. All right, so check it out. He is a tech journalist for the Wall Street Journal, but he recently just came out with a book called Arriving today from factory to front door. Why everything has changed about how and what we buy. All right. So this book came out, uh, September. Yeah. Mid-September. And I got it early. Uh, I got an early copy of it and I finally checked it out and we set up this interview, but anyways, anyways, this book is so damn relevant right now. It's insane. And why is that? Because In his book, Christopher documents the entire supply chain process, all right? And we talk about that a little bit in this conversation. But as you know, at the time of this episode coming out, we have a supply chain crisis, all right? You're hearing all these things about all those boats that are just stuck outside of like the Long Beach port with all these goods. There's like these headlines like, oh my God, is Christmas going to be canceled and everything? And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I've been binging Christopher's book because so much of it makes sense about the supply chain. But anyways, I'm so glad that we were able to schedule this conversation. Like usually I, I schedule these weeks out, but we actually just recorded this yesterday and I wanted to get it out quick because it's so relevant. Um, like many of you, I, I've i been confused. I'm like, wait, why, What? why is this happening? Like I get it, but why, what's going on? So in this conversation, Christopher actually gives me a very detailed, in-depth explanation for how this happened, what's going on, what some solutions are. I also ask him about, you know, to, to kind of put it in perspective, because sometimes when we're dealing with like these large numbers, like, you know, 70 boats stuck out there. Well, how much stuff is that? So I'm able to ask him that, and Christopher is such a knowledgeable guy in this space, and he did just so much research for his book it's it's wild and yeah uh i i'm even able to ask him what it was like because the book starts out he was actually in vietnam when covid started bubbling up and lockdowns are happening so i'm able to ask him what that was like but anyways if you've been curious about you know not just like how the supply chain works how stuff ends up on your front door after you order it like we also discuss the supply chain crisis. But yeah, later on, I'm able to talk with Christopher about some of the conversations around uh, workers. Uh, as you might've heard, there's a lot of people going on strike and everything like that. So we talk about working conditions, a lot of conversation about Amazon and Bezos and you know what's what's really going on. And yeah, it's, it's a really insightful conversation. I was glad I was able to sit down and chat with them about it, all right? So anyways, head down to the description below, make sure you are following Christopher over on Twitter and grab a copy of this book arriving today. Like, I I didn't know if I was going to enjoy his book, but I have learned so much. It's really, really interesting, just all of the research that he's done about this. All right, but anyways, before we jump into the conversation, in case you forgot, or in case you didn't get the memo, down in the description below, not only should you be following me on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul, that's linked down there, but I have written and released two brand new Books, all right, and they are 100% free. Okay, they're about mental health, addiction recovery, just dealing with this crazy world. Aside from some of my personal experience and stories, I also intertwine a lot of the evidence based research that comes from all these books that I read on psychology, philosophy, and just human behavior in general. So if you are interested in that, the books are free. Head down to the description and feel free to share on social media because you never know who out there is struggling or suffering in silence. All right. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Christopher Mims about his brand new book, Arriving Today. All right. Hello, Christopher. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, listening to the book. Your publisher was nice enough to send me an audio version, which I love. And yeah, we're going to be talking about your your new book arriving today. So for before we dive in the book, for those who have yet to meet you and the kind of work you do and uh, you know stuff you cover, can you give a little bit of your background and all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, so I am a technology columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so I work for the news operation, um, but I write about kind of technology writ large, like the way author Ursula Le Guin defined it, which is just kind of every tool that we have, mm-hmm. mention of fire. Um, and uh, it means I get to write about a wide variety of topics. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I ended up writing about supply chains in this book was actually I was curious about Robotics. Mm. there's a ton of robots in the supply chain now so that was kind of my my sideways crab walk into this topic yeah yeah i I actually just got to the part in the book where you're like talking about
0: what's going on inside the amazon warehouses and stuff because i've been i've been curious but yeah your book it it covers everything top to bottom so can you can you kind of give like an, an overview of like what what kind of inspired the book because yeah you cover it like Start to finish, and we kind of see this this whole journey of, of everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of what inspired it was frankly covering Amazon and mm-hmm. seeing just how transformative is transformative. It has been not just of you know how obviously supply chains work, but just our mindset about, hey, you know, instant gratification is the thing I should expect <laughs> I should expect to get things today tomorrow. Um, and you know what it takes to accomplish that Mm -hmm. from the moment that something, you know, leaves a factory in Asia until it gets to you, which turns out to be this 14,000 mile multi-month, you know, many modal journey. Um, so as I started to dig into that, you know, the the suggestion of my agent, I mean, I'm a tech guy. I was just like, let's talk about the future of this. He's like, "Mm, why don't you trace the whole supply chain first? Yeah. Um, But as I started to dig at it, I just, what really blew me away about it was that, you know, it is as complicated, if not more complicated than, you know, something like the internet, which I think is something that, you know, a large number of people know a fair amount about Mm -hmm. because we all grew up with the internet. We've all read a million stories about how it functions, how all this technology works, but the supply chain, I think partly because it's older and deeper. You now, we just don't really know how it works to the point that today, and I won't name names, <laughs> a very smart writer at one of probably the top five smartest publications in the world uh, say some very dumb things in his newsletter. where I was like, wow, he just doesn't have the first clue about, in this case, it was trucking. Yeah. And I was like, that's bizarre. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't trust somebody that smart to be, speaking so confidently and yet so ignorantly about finance or yeah. economics or technology but it's really easy to get away with it when you talk about the supply chain because frankly we're all pretty ignorant i mean i'm learning new yeah. things every day and i read a whole book about it yeah
0: no for sure like the the amount of research that must have gone into this like i'm sitting here and yeah it, it's it's wild but no to your to your point too i think that's more common than a lot of people think like the more i read because i just love reading and learning so when i see like you know these articles come out or even like you know pundits and i'm like you're you there's a lot of gaps in what you're talking about and that's what i i enjoy about the book you know it kind of actually remind me of uh when i first got into like my mindfulness and meditation practice like they tell you like you know like think about like the whole journey of like the being that you know came to make your coffee and everything you like your book kind of like encapsulates that showing the start to finish and you start in
1: i in vietnam correct that is correct i started in vietnam in part because it was clear already you know 2 years ago when i started researching this book in earnest that um, because of potential trade wars and because of macroeconomic effects like Mm -hmm. wages going up in China, the tons of manufacturing was moving out of China to elsewhere in Southeast Asia and South Asia. And, you know, Vietnam, maybe more than any place other than maybe Thailand, depending on the product. And so Vietnam really is a kind of stand in. It's an avatar for all of these places, you know, Uh, you know, where more than a billion people live in total, if you're just talking about Southeast Asia, Mm. where all of this manufacturing is moving. And, you know, we think, oh, everything's made in China, tra la la. Not true. Your AirPods are made in Vietnam. Every Samsung smartphone is made in Vietnam. Someday the iPhone might be made in Vietnam. You know, your Samsung refrigerators, tons of your appliances, you know, uh, athletic apparel, PPE, outdoor furniture it's all made in vietnam it's a lot for a country that's uh you know got a population that's maybe only about a third of the u.s yeah yeah for sure and you know something i've been i've been dying to ask you like
0: just since i started the book like so you were you were in vietnam when like covid started kind of like bubbling up i think it was like right before all the lockdowns can you can you share a little bit like what that was like like what was going through your mind as this happened? Because you know, at the beginning of all this, there were so many lockdowns and travel restrictions and everything. So I'm like, were, were you freaking out?
1: Yeah, I was I was so laser focused on getting this book research and writing because it, it just it ended up being just such an absurdly ambitious book. And I had to squeeze the bulk of the research and writing into the six month book leave that I got. Oh. Um you know, although all in really the book took two years or more. Um, I did not, you know, I got a, a text from my girlfriend and she was just like, Hey, uh, there's thing happening in Wuhan. Like, is there any <laughs> there? And I was like, no, everything's fine. And, you know, later, it was only after when I was back home months and months later and I was reconstructing the timeline of the pandemic, which is, you know, part of the timeline of the book Mm -hmm. that I realized that I had sort of accidentally gotten out of Vietnam right before they locked the whole country down. Oh wow. Nobody in or out, which, you know, that would have been disastrous. So I was standing on the, you know, the key side of this terminal in this port, watching all of these containers get loaded onto ships that contained Tons and tons of consumer goods that you know, a, a month or two later, we're going to be panic bought in Ooh. the U.S. as lockdowns commenced there in March. Yeah, and
0: so I'm I'm curious too because uh you know the the writing process is different. You said like it it took about two years, and in the book, like you know, I I want people to go check it out. But like you, it sounds like you visited a lot of places. You know, you you hung out with like truckers and like you know all these different things uh how was that with the timeline of you writing this like did covid affect some of the ways that you had to research this stuff did you have to do some things remotely that you were planning on being like on site for or were there any like
1: roadblocks that you ran into yeah there were definitely roadblocks i mean i was lucky that you know, kind of portions of the reporting, uh, you know, a lot of it got done before lockdowns mm-hmm. and then portions of the reporting, like when I rode along with the UPS truck driver, like when I visited a, you know, a kind of massive and kind of mysterious FedEx facility, they allowed me to come, you know, even though it was COVID time, you know, even mm-hmm. before uh, being vaccinated and that w- I think was really uh, kind of amazing and eye-opening for me. So mm-hmm. I was in a way fortunate that I that I had that access because seeing those parts of the supply chain operate when under such strain and talking to the people making them happen mm-hmm. uh, was just really incredible. Because of course that is the new normal now, right? Yeah. I mean, the reason so many of us can't get goods is uh, you know in a timely fashion. Is that that's the new normal right like the the where the all these supply chains are now putting through more material than they would you know in the past during peak season during the holidays but they're doing that every day
0: yeah yeah no it's it's wild and yeah just the other day you know especially with like current supply chain things which i want to talk to you about too uh you know i i had to kind of like temper myself with, like, where where is this or why is this taking so long because we've, we've been trained, you know, for all this like instant delivery and all these other things. And, you know, even reading your book over the last few days, it's, it's opened my eyes to everything that's going into it and all that. But, but yeah, so with, with your book being all about like this, the the supply chain, like right now, as we're speaking, massive crisis, right? Like a bajillion ships sitting outside of like long beach and all that kind of stuff, like, I, I have been keeping up with it somewhat, but I got the expert right in front of me. Like, can you kind of break down what's going on with the supply chain and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the real question is, where do you want me to start? Because so much is happening at every node of the supply chain. Really? Hey, wherever you want to start. Because I the, the the
0: extent of my knowledge is like there's a bunch of ships just sitting out in the ocean for some reason. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. so so where did this start? What's the solution? Where are we headed? You know, I heard like Biden mention it a little. So a, as much information as you feel is needed for me to comprehend
1: it. Well, let me take you on the journey of the book, which is really from the literally from the factory to the front door. What I'm gonna overlay on it, um, you know, some of which is in the book and you know, and some of which couldn't be in the book, because literally this is information that entered my head, you know, a week ago or developments mm. that are happening now. So l- let's let's do like the director's cut now with yeah. all the bottlenecks that are in place. So Um, so here we go. All right. Let's start in, you know, China or Southeast Asia that there we have to distinguish in the supply chain between bottlenecks in the transport of goods and Mm -hmm. bottlenecks in production so a lot of times people will say oh you know there's a chip shortage and they're kind of conflating at that point Mm -hmm. the the, the transportation function of the supply chain and the manufacturing portion Mm. that's obviously a manufacturing issue there's too much demand um but compounding that Is the fact that in China, you have a what's called a zero COVID policy, which means, you know, if they find at a factory or at a port, somebody has COVID, they will shut the whole thing down for a week, a month, whatever it takes. This zero COVID policy has been duplicated elsewhere, you know, uh, Malaysia, Vietnam. um, And one of the challenges that these economies have is you know, can they maintain the zero COVID policy forever? Obviously, what they're trying to do is maintain it until they can get a sufficient portion of their population vaccinated. But because of that zero COVID policy, you have these intermittent shutdowns, which limit the supply of anything, anything you're talking about, because all those consumer goods are made there, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously we make things like cars and stuff in the US, but a lot of those components come from those parts of the world. So that's challenge number one. Factories are getting intermittently shut down. Ports are getting intermittently shut down. And these are not small ports, right? Seven largest ports in the world are all in China. If well, you shut one of those down for a day, you have a problem. Yeah. Now imagine shutting it down for a month. That's happened in the past six months. Okay. So you um have containers getting on ships. Um, you know, these ships are they're really at capacity. Um, and this is assuming that, you know, you can even get onto one of these ships or even get a container to get your goods into. And that's an issue we'll talk about later because the Mm -hmm. challenges there with getting enough shipping containers really are a problem in the U S you know, you're crossing the ocean. This hasn't changed very much. You know, it's still taking a month or so weeks Uh, you arrive at the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach. Although today you could be arriving anywhere. You could be arriving at Savannah. They have congestion problems there as well you even in my backyard uh port of baltimore uh has become a diversionary or i should say a, a diversion point for a lot of ships that cannot get into the ports they were supposed to get into they're like really? it, we'll just sail through the Panama Canal, go to the port <laughs> of baltimore <laughs> not where we've intended to end up but they've got room for us but you know let's say you're at the port of la long beach you have ships stacking up there uh, i think it it's worst point there were literally 72 ships in in, a, in a, a queue there in a line. Normally, the number of ships in a the line there is zero.
0: Uh,
1: you know, they're coming in, and what you have in this part of the supply chain, really the whole supply chain, is congestion begets more congestion. It's like a traffic jam. Yeah. So a few cars slow down, more cars slow down. Before you know it, you know, uh, all the traffic uh, on a highway in LA and rush hour is standstill because a few people slowed down. Ooh. So... Uh, you know, the, when the ships come in, um, there's a problem with, is there enough room in the port for all the containers to get unloaded? Obviously Biden announced that these ships are going to go to the ports are going to go to 24 seven operation. Well, we just found out today, uh, from the CEO of Flexport that, uh, this isn't really working because there aren't enough trucks to take those containers out of those ports. Mm. So even though you're having additional night shifts and the longshoremen are working those night shifts, trucks just aren't showing up. Why is that? Well, there's a partly it's a mystery. Partly it's because the ships are being held up somewhere else because there's all these rules about when they come in, they've got to deliver an empty container of a certain type and the chassis the container's riding on belongs to a certain shipping company and there aren't enough of those chassis. Okay. So let's say you get your container out of the port. Um, now you have to, uh, get that material on a, what's called a drayage truck, which is just a short haul truck as opposed to a long haul that takes Whoa. it to somewhere in the inland empire. And then there's cross docking, which means all the goods are get taken out of that shipping container and put into a long haul truck. Cause they're going to go somewhere else. Now, of course containers could also get on a train and that's a separate issue. Um, the problem is the amount of available capacity in these warehouses in California. I'm talking about the West Coast here because that's where so many of our goods, yeah. 40% of all the imports in the U.S. come through that one port. Uh, the amount of capacity in these warehouses is, is down to, I think, 3% right now. So even mm. if you, get, you run this huge gauntlet, yeah. there isn't even room in these warehouses for your goods to transfer or to rest even for a moment. Before they're going to go to a distribution center. Um, Now, let's say that a distribution center is what would take your goods to retail, like Walmart or someplace like that. Let's say it goes to a fulfillment center. That's the e commerce equivalent of that. So, okay, your goods made it onto a long haul truck. Um, Well, now an issue is there aren't enough long haul truckers. This is an issue we hear about fairly frequently. It's gotten worse because long haul truckers are paid by the mile. There's so much demand to move goods from west to east in the country and not so much demand to move goods from east to west because we're not importing as much from the east. We're not making as much in the east uh, that, you know, you're having record number of truckers just refuse to take loads oh, from wow. the west coast because the way the animal system works, it's not a top-down system. It's all just truckers trying to string together one job after another, mm-hmm. getting paid by the mile, you know, their services are... Kind of being uh, managed by, uh, you know, big freight company like C.H. Robinson, which are just—it's—it's it's the most manual industry in the world. It's people on the phone just trying to like get truckers to mm-hmm. go to warehouse A and take goods to warehouse B and all that. Okay, maybe your goods finally are in a fulfillment center. Um, now, if it's an Amazon fulfillment center, you know those are running pretty well. But one of Amazon's challenges right now is they have you know, historically had a very high turnover and hasn't been mm-hmm. a problem for them, uh, for the same reason that very high turnover has been sustainable in industries like fast food, for example, if you have a hundred percent turnover in an industry like that, every year, which means every year your entire workforce changes over on average, mm-hmm. um, in a quote unquote normal economy in the United States of America, that's fine because our, these systems are just kind of built to chew through low wage workers and. That doesn't work now, right? Because of the great resignation. Mm-hmm. So this is why Amazon is advertising, you know, $3,000 signing bonus and 22 bucks an hour. Oh wow. Do you remember? What, it was yeah. like 2 years ago just yeah. saying, we're setting the new standard 15 bucks an hour. That's gone. If Amazon wants to compete with everybody else, that's what they've got to pay. They yeah. also by the way are trying to hire 150,000 seasonal workers it's not clear that they're going to be able to do that that's how they handle the christmas rush so buy your christmas presents early this year yeah all right so we've all gotten used to shopping from home there is record demand because of course since may of 2020 you know americans really went shopping like all that money that we spent on going out eating out entertainment vacations it's all been pushed into goods So when you have a shift that big that represents hundreds of billions of dollars in consumer spending, Mm -hmm. you know, and a behavioral shift of unprecedented size where everybody is doing what some wonks have called home insourcing, right? Like everybody's got to have their home office set up. If they're a white collar worker, as a privilege of working from, they got to teach their kids at home, all that stuff that happened. There has been so much record demand that, even the expansion, Amazon's massive expansion—you know—they they they added maybe fifty percent to their workforce over the past two years—is not enough to keep up with that demand. Okay, yeah. now these goods are getting onto a last-mile truck. So we're talking FedEx, UPS, very rarely DHL. Uh, hugely now, of course, Amazon's own network of trucks. When you see those gray Amazon trucks with the blue Amazon logos rolling down your street, mm-hmm. that's Amazon. Those workers don't work directly for Amazon, however. They work for a small, uh, you know, it's like a franchisee. It's like a local small trucking company, last mile trucking company, that then contracts with the Amazon. FedEx uses the same model. One reason they do it that way is that the Amazon then is not legally liable if one of those trucks gets into an accident, Mm. which we know from other reporting happens. Uh, You know, those drivers are under tremendous pressure. They're being monitored by cameras in their truck in order to try to make them drive, you know, m- more safely and not cut corners, but that doesn't change the pressure they have to deliver, you yeah. know, great packages every single day. Um, and there as well, you have challenges with the labor shortage where, um, you know, they have to you know, keep raising wages in order to get people into that segment. If you look at the jobs reports quarter after quarter, a really interesting thing to me is you've lost a ton of jobs in hospitality. Mm. Every quarter, just about you, you, we're gaining jobs in logistics. So it's difficult to overstate the degree to which people are shopping less in stores. They weren't, they're not going out as much. And the, the, the the shift to e-commerce has been accelerated by a decade. And consequently, Mm. the shift of low wage workers to those industries has been accelerated by a decade or more. And that's, at the end of the day, why the supply chain is under strain. There was just this enormous shift in our behavior as consumers. And this whole supply chain was built for a just-in-time world where people didn't have access inventory because that's just a drag on your balance sheet. And, you know, lean, lean, lean. We're going to make this system as lean as possible. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, uh, not have a buffer. Of goods or capacity. And no one was prepared for what happened. You know, if anything, everybody thought at the beginning of the pandemic, it was going to be like the Great Recession of 2008, demand would crater and they all kind of pulled back on their orders of everything. Mm -hmm. And the opposite happened. And that's really why we are in the situation right now. It's also why it is not going to work itself out soon. I mean, we're going to see some easing of it, you know, in in 2022. But there are shortages, there are challenges like the chip shortage that might not get resolved until 2023. They might not get resolved. uh, I don't want to say ever, but I do think that one of the things that we might see is there will be less variety, less choice among consumer goods than we've become accustomed to. Mm. And that will be a natural consequence of companies saying instead of giving you fifteen thousand options we're going to spend more money on manufacturing closer to home diversifying our supply chain so we're not going to offer you quite as many things but hopefully uh we are going to be able to you know deliver goods when we say we are um versus the situation we have now where you have automakers shutting down plants for months you have uh I've heard from three different people. They can't get dishwashers. Oh, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's wild. And, you know, like, there's so much, like, packed in there, and I'm, I'm so glad I have you here because this is all so relevant right now. And, and to me personally too, as I, as I hear you share this, like, like I, like one of my main things I love to learn about, is just trying to understand like human behavior and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the topics I'm really interested in is like, you know, expert predictions. And I think just everything you laid out, right. Like there's so many people who like pr- try to predict like the stock markets and all sorts of stuff. And like what you're talking about right here, like nobody could have predicted this you know because you get these clogs and then like it affects all these other things and that's really interesting to me but like i don't know when i think about those 72 ships and by the way by the way everybody listening like basically like everything you explained so much of it made sense too because i've been binging your book so like <laughs> parts where you're like talking about the truckers and everything like that I'm like oh yeah it yeah, makes sense but with like these ships like dozens of ships in the, uh, out there, outside of, you know, LA and you, you like get into like all the different, like sizes of the shipping containers and, and everything like that. Can you kind of like put in perspective for the people listening, like how much stuff is actually being held up? Like, is it like a best buy worth of stuff or is it like, you know what I mean? Cause you talk about these ships, like big as like football fields. So what what's a what's a good like analogy for how much stuff is being clogged up right now?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we can do the math right now. The biggest of these ships uh, carry the equivalent of ten thousand forty foot containers. Jean uh, Siroca, you know, uh, executive director of the Port of Los Angeles, has said that uh, one of the things that's ex- exceptional about the Port of LA is that more containers are transferred uh off of those ships every time they come into port than at any other port in the world which just shows you what an insane trade balance imbalance Mm. we have with china in other words like even though china has the biggest ports in the world when those ships arrive in america basically they are just disgorging almost their entire contents uh, because it's just all crap that we bought from china and from asia um, So, you know, I think that he said on average every single one of those ships, they're taking off the equivalent of 5,540-foot containers. So multiply, you know, 5,500 times the number of ships waiting in line. Uh, so, you know, lately it's been around 50. So uh, hold me out here. That's 50 times 5 is 25,000. Two hundred and fifty thousand containers. Ooh. Is that right? Something like that. I'm trying to pull up a It's yeah. <laughs> two hundred fifty thousand containers. Each one of those containers can hold up to, uh, you know, I think total net weight is like uh, eighty thousand pounds. Yeah. Uh, so you know, when when it, when a ship disgorges that many containers, I would say it, it, it's it's probably several Walmart's worth of stuff. That's crazy. And uh so you know I I can't estimate this to closer than maybe an order of magnitude, but you're talking about uh hundreds of Walmart's worth of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And and the thing is that it's not just it's very spiky in terms of you know, you you can't get some stuff, but you but other companies are doing just fine. So it's not that like you know, every Walmart has 10% fewer goods. It's like every Walmart has, every Ikea literally has 10% fewer goods. That's what their CEO said. He said about 10% of their Mm. inventory is missing from storage right now. Plus there's some things you cannot get for love or money because some shippers who are used to cheap shipping, who were used to being able to, you know, book their shipping just a few months in advance, cannot get space on these ships or cannot afford current shipping costs mm. at all. Yeah. And
0: so maybe you can help me understand this because this has been on my mind a lot. Like there's so much going on and this is like a realm where I'm not as educated. Like I'm just now realizing like I don't know nearly as much about it. But so with everything that you're talking about with like the supply chains and like you know uh the people who work at these docks, the the truck drivers and everything, but then at these facilities, there's so many uh, workers going on strike. There was a recent report of like just more people leaving their jobs than ever and everything. And for me, it's just, it's not adding up. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure you have some answers to this because the way I see it, like, okay, cool. Like worker empowerment. Awesome. Like, you know, Hey, I'm going to leave this job. You're not treating us right. Or we're going to go on strike and everything. But then at the same time, I'm like, but you guys like, where, where is your money coming from? Like, you know, I have a kid that I got to feed. So even if I don't like a job, like it's like, Hey, I got bills to pay. So can you, do you, do you have an idea like with, with all this stuff, because it seems like the demand for workers is extremely high right now. Can you kind of break down like how this is going on or the logic behind it? And, you know, or do you know how workers are, able to leave and still pay their bills right now like it doesn't make sense are they waiting for these companies to like jack up the wages and better working conditions and all that
1: yeah there have been some estimates on this um and if i recall correctly a recent estimate by a bank i think it was ing was like 30 percent of the workers who have exited the workforce are living off like savings and stimulus checks and uh you know, and be in a situation where um, maybe the, it's not that big of a net hit to their income because they are staying home to take care of kids instead of paying for child care. I mean, that's one mm. of the really, you know, if you have kids, bizarre things about the American system is <laughs> yeah. child, child care costs so much that if you have young children, it can be a wash, you know, one parent working or not. Yeah, you know, if you can afford that. And I think that people have changed their priorities and probably changed their lifestyles and been like, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll move. Maybe I'll live within my means. Maybe I'll move somewhere where the cost of living is significantly lower. And and yeah. you know, one partner doesn't have to work anymore. So that's like a third. So it's a very diverse group of people who are just like, You all can take this job and shove it. I'm living a whole new life. A third of it is probably early retirements, because you have a lot of people mm. who are like. Uh, for again, for various reasons, they're like mm, my priorities have changed, or this job sucks, or I don't want to do this during the time of COVID because I'm old and I'm at risk. Yeah, you know. And then there's like another like thirty percent where portion of it is just kind of like miscellaneous. Like we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So there was some slack in the system to begin with, and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, some of some of the kind of the Great Resignation is people just change upgrading actually. You know they're they're quitting one type of job, and restaurants can't hire enough workers because they're competing with that three thousand dollars signing bonus and twenty two bucks an hour at Amazon. Mm. And by the way, Amazon just the tip of that iceberg, right? You can get similar money and go work for FedEx or get similar money and join a union and uh, be treated in a very different way at UPS. So, you know, part of that is that there are other parts of the economy that are sucking up these workers, um, and you know, I think that the sort of final thing that we have to really keep in mind, it's just a numbers thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, uh, I, th- I think about this in it, my metaphors, like always, like online dating or something. <laughs> it's like, if, 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 if there are, uh, you know, you live in a, in a, let's just, well, I don't want to talk about men and women, so let's just talk about plain bellied snitches and star bellied snitches, okay? Yeah. If you live in a town where, there are like two star-bellied sneeches for every one plain-bellied sneech. Then obviously you're setting up a very fierce competition among mm. the star-bellied sneeches for the plain-bellied sneech. Uh, and 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 but as the total population of uh, plain-bellied sneeches who are available for dating or for jobs shrinks, that ratio can go up very quickly so a yeah. small movement in the number of paired off plain-bellied snitches can change the ratio of star-bellied to plain-bellied snitches to three to one four to one ten to one very very quickly and you see this in the, in another market where you're trying to match up to uh, folks and that's you know people hiring and people looking for jobs where you know if you are approaching full employment and if the total population of available workers has shrunk significantly then the ratio of employers looking for employees and people who are you know competent to be hired with a small movement in in the in the overall population you can quickly go from like two employers for every one employee to like 5 to 1 10 to yeah. 1 so it's just arithmetic uh where uh and and you see this throughout the supply chain as well like let's say you're trying to get your hands on shipping containers you you can vary with small movements in the sort of base uh amount of capacity or demand you the people who are left out of this game of musical chairs can suddenly be put in a position of near desperation and so Mm -hmm. that's why you see wages going up so quickly and of course eventually that has to get digested by the rest of the economy and that's why everybody's so worried about inflation yeah
0: yeah and so like uh you know do you do you kind of see i don't know like because one of the things i i i was interested in your thoughts on with like automation like you talk about automation in the book like uh you you answer some of the questions i have like especially like in trucking right like Uh, I forgot it was it was recently where Tesla was like, oh, like, hey, we're going to start replacing truckers with these, you know, self-driving trucks. And you kind of like touch on it, like people outside of Tesla don't think that, you know, Elon Musk is too close to that. But so with with this demand for workers, do you see like these fears of automation kind of dialing back a little because we're seeing how important people are to kind of get stuff back on the right track in case anything like this happens again.
1: Yeah. If anything, the pendulum has swung completely in the opposite direction and people are like, oh crap, we need a lot more robots. Or maybe the problem is we don't have enough automation. (laughs) Uh, so I do find that a bit ironic. I mean, I think both of those takes misapprehend the nature of automation and how it works. Look, except over the very long term, automation doesn't take people's jobs. It takes over certain tasks. It Mm -hmm. changes the nature of work. That's what we should be talking about. But here's the funny thing about automation. If you really, really automate, you know, some physical tasks, physical labor, whatever, what you're really doing is creating a tool that makes the humans that remain in that system. Mm vastly more productive, well, guess what? The value of those humans and how essential they are shoots up, right? Like if if one worker can only make one widget, you know, per day on their own Mm -hmm. because it's the 18th century, like the loss of one worker doesn't really affect that system very much. But now you fast forward to the 21st century um, and one worker is using automation to make a thousand or ten thousand widgets per day. If that worker calls in sick, you are really screwed. And especially if that worker has any specialized skills. Yeah. And now, obviously, technologists, engineers, companies have tried to kind of fight the um, power of workers. I don't. I don't want to make it sound like it's just this like hop, you know Hobbesian struggle between management and labor, but mm-hmm. there is some element of that. Um, by so-called, you know, de-skilling labor, right? Like, I mean, a new Amazon worker, they're going to go into one of the most automated facilities in the world. If they're going in one of Amazon's new fulfillment centers, mm-hmm. you can train that worker in a day because the audit, so much of the intelligence of what's required to get goods out of or through that fulfillment center has been embodied in the software and in the hardware within that warehouse. But but even so, you know, even the Amazons of the world, which have done everything they can to de-skill that labor so that they so that turnover doesn't affect them too much. You know, eventually they just get to the point where they've hired everybody who's within commuting distance of that fulfillment center is willing to do that job. And if the working conditions weren't that great, they're like, bye, I'm going to do some other job. Um, so automation, ironically, can give workers more leverage. It just yeah. depends on other macroeconomic conditions can that job be outsourced how much immigration is there what's the birth rate what's the death rate how quickly are people retiring and we are in a weird time now where people are retiring like crazy people are deliberately taking themselves out of the workforce Mm -hmm. uh you know obviously our past administration did our uh rates of immigration no favors Um, You know, we did a bunch of other weird things to our economy because of the trade wars that our last administration launched. So there are like dozens of different factors that are just converging to uh, create this insane demand for labor. And that's good for wages, um, you know, but it could also mean uh, inflationary pressure going forward. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, too, because uh, I, I recently had
0: uh, Azim Azhar on to talk about his book, The Exponential. And he was kind of saying the same thing about like, you know, automation It kind of, you know, it, in some ways, depending on what it is, it can actually like empower workers and and things like that. But, you know, what what I'm what I'm wondering, too, is like, you know, because you, you obviously look at, you know, just uh, like people like Bezos and everything like that. Do you do you see, like, uh, do you think, in your opinion, like, workers are going to start getting some of the things that they're they're asking for? Because, you know, especially when we were talking about, like, the supply, supply chain shortages, like, a lot of these strikes, like, when they talk about, like, frito a and, you know, John Deere, you know, whatever's going on, they're talking about these workers working insane hours, minimal days off. So when I hear about the supply chain shortages, I'm like, they're going to have to work these people, even harder. So I'm curious, like what your thoughts are. Like, do you see, do you see like, uh, you know, the, the employers like bending to the workers or I I don't know, or do you think it'll be short term? I'm curious, like overall, if you think this is going to be net positive for the workers in these systems.
1: It's certainly improving their wages. I think that companies are also coming to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Amazon specifically is coming to recognize that they need to improve working conditions because otherwise it leads to unsustainable levels of turnover. That said, there are very powerful forces arrayed against workers uh, gaining any more leverage beyond their scarcity. So specifically, we've really gutted the laws that made it possible for people to unionize. I mean, this is why Walmart, for example, Mm -hmm. is never... Uh, you know, had a significant amount of unionization among its workers. Um, you know, it's why long-haul truck drivers are not unionized, even though they all used to be part of the Teamsters. Um, you know, it's why Prop 22 happened in California, mm-hmm. which certainly limited the rights of of uh, Uber and Lyft and and, and other drivers delivering our meals and of course now they're trying to make those laws happen in every other state in the union so part of this is about just plain old politicking Mm -hmm. and the way that limits the ability of workers to gain any more leverage than they have now so yeah i think it's going to help them but you know uh, are we going to turn into france for good and for ill no Mm. it's just it's not in the cards i mean unless yeah politically i just don't i don't think it's going to happen yeah yeah that's that's something that i i you know i, I want to be as
0: optimistic as possible like you said there's a lot of politicking that needs to go on and and, and all that kind of stuff and you know uh i i wanted i wanted to ask you because so i was actually having a conversation with someone this morning and you 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 know spoken with uh you know amazon workers and stuff like that you know for the book and everything and you know there there are obviously like these stories and i've read about it in other books where they're you know you you kind of talk about like these people being managed by algorithms and everything. Right. And we hear these stories. I can't, can't remember how long it was. It was recently where you hear about like employees, like going to the bathroom in like bottles and stuff because they're trying to improve productivity and efficiency. But there was someone, I forgot her name that you talked to in the book where she was like, she was happy as hell, you know, working in this warehouse and everything. So from like across the board, like, I don't know how, how terrible is it, right? Because someone this morning I was talking to, they were like, well, you know, Amazon's paying them like, you know, higher than a lot of places and everything. And me, I'm just like, okay, well, you're getting paid more. But if you're getting treated like crap and I'm a huge mental health guy, so if it's leading to like stress, anxiety, depression, you know, whatever. So from, from all the people you've talked to and what you've seen and research, like, how bad is it?
1: Yeah, it's very hard to say because it's a gigantic company. You know, they're <clears throat> every, every one of these fulfillment centers uh, is is different uh, in terms of management. So, um, you know, I've talked to workers who said, you know, I worked at Amazon Fulfillment Center in Edison, New Jersey, and they were some of the best managers I've ever had in my entire life. And I've wow. worked at a variety of places, including nonprofits. You know, others are, you know, pretty angry about the way that they get treated so it depends. I mm-hmm. think it's gotten a lot better. I think Amazon and other supply chain companies, uh, like XPO Logistics, which got, which infamously, you know, was like having people die in their warehouses. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, let's put some tape around the body. Everybody get back to work. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's been such attention focused on it that uh, the, it has improved. And um, yeah. I think that's good, you know, and Amazon announcing a whole raft of initiatives starting really spring of this year Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of improve worker health, safety, mental health, physical health, you know, remains to be seen what the net impact will be. I mean, I think Amazon's kind of greatest sin, if you can call it that, is that it, it has always been an organization where they're like, hey, anybody can come work here, we will onboard you very quickly, you will get health insurance from day one. And oh, by the way, if you are, you know, not super physically fit or just older than a certain age, like you might need it because you're about to get a repetitive stress injury. I mean, there's a reason that they call these workers industrial athletes. That's a very different approach than a unionized shop like a UPS where they invest super heavily in safety training, which Amazon does as well. But they also just you know, by dint of a century of experience doing this are kind of more attuned to what is the maximum demand we can place on people and have them still work for us for a decade or more, because we're ultimately responsible for their health and their health insurance and we want to retain them. So, you know, it really depends on the amount of leverage that workers have. And just as with wages, I think that workers are getting more and more leverage. Um, And, you know, it it may be that we're at the point now where all the attention that's been focused on Amazon should better be focused on, you know, uh, slaughterhouses. Yeah. Or the fast food industry or, you know, I could name a number of industries where at this point conditions are worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that and and kind of like, you know, what you were saying, you know, like I, I've been thinking about it because we, you know, I'm in Las Vegas and we have a warehouse out here. I knew a lot of people who went and worked there. I don't remember them ever like they were like close friends too. I don't ever remember them just like saying, like, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced. And, you know, as with everything, like I've had, you know, my history of different jobs and you know, some are great, some are terrible. so I'm curious if it really depends from place to place and who's running that specific area. But, you know, with just a little bit more of your time here's something that you know i often wonder about like because i'm i'm all for you know just like change and empowering workers and all these other things and you know obviously when news hits and they're like oh amazon's treating their employees like everything and uh and people are like oh bezos is the devil so even though i'm like yeah let's like empower people and like make changes and all that stuff i'm also a realist so with you you know, being all in like tech and writing this book and everything, when people are freaking out about Amazon and there's news all over the place, since I'm a realist, the number one thing I think is like, you can complain about Amazon all you want, but they're way too convenient. And I don't see anybody really like boycotting Amazon anytime soon. Like I think it was maybe last year or the year before. And to be
1: clear, when I talk to workers mm -hmm. who are disgruntled, they're not asking anybody to boycott Amazon. They just mm. want more leverage. They want better working yeah. conditions. So I think I think even the the people who, you know, any of us who are well meaning are trying to speak on the behalf of those folks aren't asking for a boycott, right? Like they are just asking for better working conditions. And of course, that's what all this transparency is about, right? It mm. forces it holds Amazon to account and forces them to be responsive to this kind of criticism. Yeah, do you do you think do you think like it's it's ever like
0: you you'll ever see just like Amazon stock drop because people stop using the service either? Like, do you think that's even like a concern for these? You know, for Amazon? No, I think or the only workers?
1: way that Amazon is ever going to do anything other than grow and grow and grow is if there's antitrust action. Like, yeah, I, I just don't. I mean, there. I have talked to academics who are like, look, you know. There was a time when Macy's was dominant in retail, or, or uh, people forget this, but like uh, A and P, way back in the day was so dominant that Congress was like, "We got to break it up; it's Mm -hmm. it's killing cool grocers." Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, there there is some potential future in which Amazon gets disrupted in some way or another, Um, but it's unlikely to happen anytime soon. It is. like at this point, Amazon is, it's just like, it's infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
0: it's interesting too. Cause yeah, I've been, uh, I was reading about some of the antitrust stuff, you know, and like Amazon being a monopoly, uh, real quick, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, how al- Amazon using their algorithms to like, you know, see, you know, what products are performing good and then they make like a competitive product, you know, and they, they control the algorithms because the way I see it. And I don't know if I'm missing something like just about any store you go to has like their own brand name product that they put right next to the name brand stuff. Like, do you see a major difference with this being in the tech space than just like the brick and mortar space?
1: Yeah, I mean, there the kind of controversy has been about, you know, are the teams within Amazon who are creating these Amazon house brands using data from amazon itself in a way that gives them an unfair advantage and i think that part of that has come from this feeling from a lot of sellers on amazon that amazon is sort of bathed in a predatory way they'll come up with some new innovation and then amazon will copy it and call it the amazon basics version of xyz and then Mm. kind of wipe them out so that has been an issue you know others at the journal have reported on that there's been congressional hearings um it's i mean it's i am not an antitrust expert and i really kind of go back and forth Mm. on you know what are the correct uh remedies you know if any um i do think though that you can have um you know, you don't have to have a, a total monopoly to have various harms for consumers and for competition, right? Like, let's not forget that that while Amazon, you know, is benevolent in the sense that Jeff Bezos' is animating philosophy is like, let's give people more and more and more for as low a price as possible. Mm-hmm. That can be detrimental, uh, you know, and is in some ways demonstrably uh, for certain types of competition. And so, if you're taking that kind of more holistic view, which I think you know Lena Khan at the Federal Trade Commission obviously has for many years, um, and and now is in a position of power there, then you know you can come up with all kinds of remedies that might be fairly creative and and beyond what I could imagine Mm -hmm. in order to um, I don't want to say rein in because because that implies just like oh we don't like that this company is big you know do things that that in a positive way promote competition cuz yeah. look i mean there's nothing that the the government is going to do it, or it seems very unlikely that, that it's going to have a significant negative impact on amazon it's more like well we don't like this practice or that practice or we think this is harmful to competition so let's curb that
0: yeah. No. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to see how this all plays out. Just like the way technology is changing everything and they're trying to catch up even, you know, in the social media space, but but yeah, Christopher, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Like your book is more relevant than ever <laughs> just right now, just, you know, with COVID, with the supply chain stuff. And I, I learned a ton, not from just from the book, but just this conversation. So for everybody who wants to learn more and kind of learn this, like start to finish like process, um, the book is currently out. Is So two questions, is it available everywhere? Like has it been released internationally? And also like, where can people find you to keep up with your work and coverage of everything else going on
1: yeah i believe that the book is available everywhere i think I and mean, mm-hmm. i mean somebody sent me a snap from the english language section of a bookstore in berlin oh okay. there's a special uh paperback version already in india where the, i guess they often sell paperback versions of uh hardback books that come out in the west um so yeah uh, i mean you know anywhere you can buy books obviously you can also get the ebook version of it And the audiobook version, I'm glad to hear that you uh, have been enjoying that. In terms of finding me, you know, it's just like I'm at MIMS on Twitter. um, Or you can go to MIMS.club and that always redirects to like whatever my current home on the internet is. Mm. Uh, And so, yeah, hopefully not too hard to find me. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I see on Twitter and that's where I keep up to date with your stuff. So so yeah, I'll I'll be
0: linking all that stuff and obviously the book down in the descriptions below. So yeah, Christopher, thanks again so much for your time. And I'll be keeping up to date with all your work so I can learn more about all this stuff.
1: Yeah, Chris. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Great questions. I'm glad we got to have such a deep conversation. Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with christopher about not only his new book but getting educated on all the stuff going on with the supply chain like all of it makes so much sense and i you know i'm still curious about the solutions and everything but one of the reasons i love conversations like this is like now now the news makes sense and that's one of the reasons that i love to read so check this out this is why i hope all of you are picking up books on these different topics from these different authors and everything like that. Like so many of us, like we, we have these gaps in our knowledge and there's no way for us to know everything about everything. So you have people like Christopher and so many others who have come on who, you know, are experts in these things. And they, you know, like, like Christopher was done all of this research and he's gone out to these locations and he can educate us about these. And it, it's really interesting knowing how all this stuff works. And I think that's important too, because All of us, well, unless like you're a For some reason, a kid listening to my podcast, but all of us, you know, we're voters, we're a voting age and, you know, we should know about how workers are treated. We should know about what's going on with supply chains. We should know how all this stuff comes from different countries and how we interact and everything like that. Like I am a 36 year old man and I'm late to the party. So it's been really interesting learning about all these different things. So make sure you head down to the description below. Make sure you're following Christopher over on Twitter, because aside from his book, which is also linked down below. He writes, he's a writer, he's a journalist for the Wall Street Journal, writes about tech. So if you have any kind of technology, you're probably interested in the stuff that he writes about on a regular basis. So make sure you're following him and grab a copy of this book. All right. But before I let you go, don't forget, make sure you're following me over at The Rewired Soul on Instagram and Twitter. And there is also two Brand new books from me, yours truly. They're down in the description below and they're 100% free, so check those out. All right, so as I mentioned, these books, uh, they're for anybody looking to improve their mental health, deal with just the struggles of everyday life. And there's also an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. Therapy is one of the main tools that I've used. I personally use BetterHelp. So if you want affordable online therapy, feel free to check out that affiliate link. All right, so another huge thanks to Christopher for. taking the time to come on. And I hope you guys check out his book. And yeah, that's all I got for you this week. I'm going to take the weekend off, hang out with the kid and all that. So I hope you have an amazing weekend. And I will see you on Monday with a brand new episode next week. It's it's going to be wild. There are a lot of brand new books coming out. And one of my interviews is actually with John McWhorter. He has a brand new book out. And I also have Anoushe Hussein on to talk about her new book about how women's healthcare is like literally killing women. We have a bunch of great uh, episodes coming out next week for some brand new books. So stay tuned.